0: Welcome to Discovering You, a podcast that explores the intricacies of personality and how it impacts the way we navigate through life. What will you discover today? Hi, everyone. Hi, Heather. Hi. Today, I'm going to be discussing emotional intelligence, also known as EQ. Before I dive into it, though, it's time for the disc analogy that I do at the beginning of each episode. Last time it was National Book Day. I compared discs to different literary genres. This month it's International Tea Day on the weekend. So I'm going to break down the disc factors according to type of tea. If high D was tea, what would it be? It would be chai, nice and spicy. High I would be a matcha latte, fun and very on trend. High S would be chamomile, calm and soothing. And high C would be English breakfast because that's proper. Do you drink tea, Heather? I do. I drink chai. Oh, you drink chai. (laughs) Okay, well, that's interesting. That's sort of connected to your profile. I do want to say sometimes people will tell me that their disc profile doesn't line up with the drink I've chosen. Let me just clarify. It's not intended to. It's really meant to describe the essence of the tea slash disc factor. So it doesn't mean you have to like it. For instance, S is my highest factor, but I don't like chamomile tea, even though I know it would be good for me to drink. However, my other two factors do line up with the drinks, English breakfast and chai. Okay, back to today's topic, EQ. It's buzzed about a lot, but what does it really mean? And how important is it in our day-to-day lives? As it turns out, it's very important, not only in our personal lives, but in our professional lives too. It's not something that most of us grew up thinking about, well, depending on your age, I guess. And that's mainly because, as a concept, it is relatively new. It was only introduced in 1990 by Peter Salovey and John Mayer, not the singer, a professor and a researcher, respectively. And even then, most people didn't really become aware of it until 1996 when Daniel Goleman's book entitled Emotional Intelligence Why It Can Matter More Than IQ was released. Now this definitely made an impression, and it's why Goldman is often credited with developing the theory rather than just further exploring it. I have to think that the title captured a lot of interest, and then once people delved into it, the topic proved to be just as interesting. One of the talks that I do is titled EQ versus IQ, and I find that people are intrigued by looking at intelligence from a new perspective. It really challenges the way it has been viewed historically. So briefly, let's break down both. IQ represents abilities such as visual and spatial processing, knowledge of the world, working memory, fluid and quantitative reasoning, versus EQ, which is identifying emotions, relating to others, social communication, controlling one's emotions. Okay, that gives us a general sense. Now, why is EQ so buzzed about? especially at work. Some benefits of emotional intelligence in the workplace are enhanced interpersonal relationships, building better collaboration between people and teams, helping people work through organizational and cultural change, increasing employee engagement, and sustaining and growing an organization's culture. Pretty important stuff, wouldn't you say? Google had a good look at this and launched a study to determine what made the most effective teams. They named it Project Aristotle, because of his famous quote, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And this came down to EQ versus IQ. The findings revealed that successful team cultures comprised individuals who didn't necessarily score most highly for intelligence, but they came up with ways to use each other's strengths. The researchers eventually concluded that rather than intelligence, What separated high-performing teams from dysfunctional ones was how members of the team interacted and treated one another. I use this and a similar study when I'm running team workshops because I want to highlight the importance of interpersonal communication and connection. And to illustrate this point further, Professor John B. Cotter from Harvard Business School says, and I quote, Emotions have the potential to get in the way of our most important business and personal relationships. Because of the furious pace of change in business today, difficult to manage relationships sabotage more business than anything else. It is not a question of strategy that gets us into trouble. It is a question of emotions. Now, if ever there was a place that puts a high value on IQ, it would be Harvard Business School, right? The fact that Cotter is saying this is really quite telling. Many companies actually now mandate emotional intelligence training and use EQ assessments as part of the hiring process. Research has found that individuals with strong leadership potential also tend to be more emotionally intelligent, suggesting that a high EQ is an important quality for business leaders and managers. As well as DISC, I'm also certified in EQ and I use it for team building, coaching and keynote talks. And just like DISC, there is an assessment that is done which generates a super detailed report that is used as a platform for the coaching process. Both assessments are psychometric, but DISC is ipsative, which you may remember is a forced choice between two or more favorable options. Whereas EQ is normative, and that means it compares your results with a norm group. The one that I use for my business is based on a North American population. If you're listening from the UK, Europe, or other areas, there are norm groups for your location too. The questionnaire is a self directed Likert scale where you indicate your level of agreement from one to seven. One is disagree completely. Seven is agree completely. I'm going to give you a couple of sample questions just so you can get an idea of what that's like. Here goes How likely are you to dwell on negative thoughts? How likely are you to think before you speak? Those are a couple of sample ones that you would see on that. If you were to choose one, that would mean that you were not likely at all. And if you were to choose closer to seven, it would indicate that you are very likely to do so. What's interesting is that with this assessment, it is not about receiving a high score. In fact, an average score is considered ideal. So you may be thinking, why is that? The more average your scores are, the more similar you are to the majority of people, which in turn means it's easier for you to relate to that majority of people. Having really high scores can be just as problematic as having low scores. You may find it difficult to connect with others, or they may have trouble relating to you. When I say this, I find that people, myself included, struggle with the notion of a high score not being a positive thing. How about you, Heather? I see you nodding your head.
1: (laughs) I also feel the same way about a high score. I mean, I went through this process with you. I did the test. We had a coaching session about it. And I had not high scores or average scores, but relatively low scores in most categories. And that was heart-wrenching for me (laughs) until I actually understood it, the Mm -hmm. areas of it, and then, you know, the ways to improve, right? The coaching side of it. Right.
0: Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, that's exactly it. I think traditionally, we get hung up on seeing a high number, right? Ooh, I got like an 80, or I got a 90. That's great. I'm going to tell you a little story about myself in a minute that will kind of illuminate that as well. There are many facets to emotional intelligence, and certainly more than we have time to get into today. But when I'm running a session, I start by breaking it down to its essential core, which is Intrapersonal. So let me just clarify. I-N-T-R-A. Intrapersonal, which is understanding and managing emotions in ourselves. This involves self-awareness. And then there is interpersonal. I-N-T-E-R. Interpersonal, which is understanding and influencing emotions in others. And that involves things like empathy. When I present this information during my sessions, I usually like to pause at this point and I will ask the participants which one they think people are stronger in. Are we better at understanding ourselves and how to self monitor or at understanding and influencing others? Heather, do you want to have a crack at this?
1: (laughs) I don't know what the answer is for the general population, but for myself, it's easier to recognize emotions in others than myself. I don't necessarily think. It's easier to influence those emotions in others as it is in myself, but Mm. definitely recognizing them, for me anyways, it feels easier. Yeah,
0: No, and that's insightful because it isn't sort of either or, it's a little bit of both in that answer. So I like that. Often the answer does surprise people. We are actually better at recognizing emotions in others than ourselves. So kind of like what you said there, Heather. And the reason for that is we can pick up on visuals and behavior cues from others so maybe their face flushes, or they start fidgeting, or biting their nails, and they may not be aware of that themselves. When it's us, we may be unaware that we are sending out these signals. Pre-pandemic, I used to say, we don't look into a mirror all day when we're interacting, so we don't necessarily know how we're coming across. But then along came the Zoom world, (laughs) and we actually had that opportunity. And for some of us, it was an eye-opener. Looking at that with intrapersonal, the self awareness one, there are these considerations. Are you familiar with your personality style? Are you more of a talker than a listener? Would you say you're an optimist versus a realist? Do you know your disc and EQ profiles? The more self awareness you have, the greater your ability is to interpret and connect with others. For the interpersonal, and specifically empathy, This is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Now, this one is tricky because it's often confused with sympathy, which it's not. Sympathy is, you know, maybe feeling sorry for somebody. That is not the same thing as empathy. It is the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Now, this is one of those things that some people have naturally, and for others, they really have to work at it. For those who have challenges with it, there are strategies to help you improve it. And that's one of the great takeaways from the EQ assessment and coaching. I don't think it's a stretch or a surprise to realize that building up empathy would be a good self-improvement exercise. What may seem counterintuitive though, is that having an abundance of empathy can be detrimental. So there is also work to be done through EQ that helps with that. Does that come as a surprise
1: to you, Heather? Yes. That it would be problematic to have too much empathy. It does come as a surprise to me, except that I do have some friends who are very empathetic. And so Mm -hmm. they take on everything Mm -hmm. of people around them. And it seems detrimental to them. Yeah. It feels like a lot.
0: And that's very insightful that you are saying that. As somebody on the outside looking in, it's not you experiencing it, but you're maybe recognizing that in others, which would indicate a little bit of empathy right there. (laughs) (laughs) For me, I can definitely speak to this as this is part of my personal story. When I was training to get my EQ certification, I went through the process myself and this came up in the coaching. So remember, I mentioned that an average range is considered ideal, anywhere between, let's say, 30 and 70%. Well, my empathy score was in the high 90s. This was a real learning moment for me because it enabled me to recognize that sometimes you can have too much of a good thing and that something that can be your superpower can also be your kryptonite. While the empathy served me in so many ways and specifically in the work I do, it also threatened that very same work. There were some instances where I would take on the worries and the problems of my clients and that would leave me feeling depleted. So exactly what you recognized Heather. And you know that's not good because then I can't be at my best for anyone and I run the risk of burnout. While I had suspected this about myself, it really helped to see it laid out objectively and then learn some strategies to keep it in check. I mentioned that there are many facets in the emotional intelligence assessment Under the umbrella of intrapersonal, we see facets such as self-esteem, optimism, stress management, impulse control. Now, here comes the disc connection. Often when I'm working with clients, I've done both their disc and EQ profiles, and I do see a correlation between certain disc factors and EQ facets. For example, let's look at the facet of impulse control. I often mention that high eyes are spontaneous, and that is certainly fun and positive. But another way that manifests is impulsive behavior. It's fairly normal for someone with high influence in their profile to have a lower score on impulse control. Think of the sample question I mentioned earlier. You could probably guess that high eyes, being more spontaneous, would tend to respond quickly and speak without thinking about it for too long. The opposite of that would be high Cs, who are very deliberate, controlled, analytical, and they often have very high impulse control scores. Now switching to interpersonal, under that umbrella, we see facets such as emotion perception, assertiveness, social awareness, relationships. In the example I just gave with high I and high C, it's common for the scores to be reversed, with I scoring high in relationships and high C's not as much. This is not set in stone, however, and it is really always fascinating to me when let's say a high C has low impulse control. It's not very common, but it gives a more nuanced understanding of perhaps why the person with a high C doesn't always present as textbook high C. One of the clearest examples where EQ makes a huge difference in how disc profiles present is with the dominance factor. A D who is very self-aware and has a high degree of empathy presents very differently than one without. The latter elicits an image of a bull charging through a fine china shop. Whereas the former, people are often shocked to discover that they actually have a high D at all. What can we do to help build awareness? This begins with checking our own emotions. I'm going to get into this in part two of our EQ discussion next time. I'll be discussing the Mood Meter tool. Now, some of you may have heard of it and even used it. I know that they've incorporated it into some schools and other learning environments, which is awesome. Also, Brene Brown has a beautiful new book called Atlas of the Heart, which explores identifying emotions as
1: well. I definitely want to talk about that in a future episode, too. This week, we have a listener question from the last episode on reframing introversion. The question is... I've recently hired someone who I think may be an introvert. She is very well qualified for the job, but I'm concerned that our office environment may be overstimulating for her. Is there anything I can do to be proactive about this so she doesn't feel uncomfortable? First of all, I love
0: that this question is being asked and that the effort and consideration is going into it. When I'm working with leaders, I'm able to provide them with a customized how to manage report through the DISC process with their new hires. So this is able to assist them in strategies to guide them, motivate them, and support each individual based on their personal style. So a couple of things come to mind that I think will help set your employee up for success. Try to plan meetings or even casual chats in advance. Introverts don't feel comfortable being put on the spot as they need time to process information and to prepare. Not only will you be putting her at ease, but you will also end up with a better result. Another thing you can do is set the tone by letting her know it's okay if she needs some quiet time to recharge. So, be that putting on noise canceling headphones or even going for a quick walk. I do think we are in a unique period of time where more people than ever are feeling this way as we take baby steps back into a collective office culture versus a more solitary home environment. And it's more acceptable perhaps than it would have been a few years ago. I also would recommend checking out the site quietrev.com and then looking at the resources for companies tab. There are great tools on there such as inclusive meetings checklist, a personality styles tool, and a teaming conflict tool that are all based on ways to optimally engage with introverts, extroverts, and Ambiverts. It is a fantastic
1: resource. Thanks for the question. If you're interested in booking Victoria for a speaking engagement or team facilitation, contact her at discoverwhatworks.org.
0: Thanks for listening. Remember, send in your questions to be featured on a future episode and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app.